Fred Plotkin's back today on Travel with Rick Steves to deepen our appreciation for the pleasures of Italian cuisine. Fred's detailed guide to the local pleasures of the palate in Italy is called Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. Fred, thanks for being back. Buongiorno, Ricardo. Come va? Molto bene, te. I wish I spoke more Italian and I'd answer you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fred, you, you have, uh, I love the way you call yourself a pleasure activist. What does that mean in the context of travel? In the context of travel and in life, what it means is to really use our senses. I believe that most people barely acknowledge the gifts, the great gifts that we've been given with our five senses. And by activating them and really focusing on everything that we experience, we take home so much more than just sort of wandering through life. And I believe, too, that when we use our five senses, it builds the sixth one, which is intuition. It's safe to say one of your favorite countries and one of my favorite, if not the favorite, is Italy. And maybe there's a connection there because the Italians are just so unapologetic in their pursuit of pleasure. Well, pleasure is not a bad thing. Uh, I'm always asked to describe it and defend it. And I say there's a difference between pleasure and hedonism. Not that there's anything really wrong with a little hedonism, but I think that mindless pleasure is different from pleasure. Pleasure means piacere. When you meet someone in Italy, you don't say hello, you say piacere. It's a pleasure to be with you. I think pleasure can be related to ingredients. And when you travel, you find that there are a lot of famous dishes that, at least for me, they don't quite do it outside of the home country. Uh, sauerkraut. I've never really gotten into sauerkraut here in my, my world, but when I go to Germany, sauerkraut's a whole different thing. I think risotto is similar. You know, you, you really can find great risotto in its hometown or in its home region. Well, part of the reason for that is that the Germans with their sauerkraut and the Alsatians in France and the northern Italians with risotto do not take shortcuts. Mm. If we take a shortcut for something, inevitably we reduce the quality. One example that's universal, using a bouillon cube for flavor will never replace the real mushrooms, the real chicken, that we would instead prefer to give real flavor to a dish. So that's why you wrote in your book, if on the menu has a little asterisk and it says, if you order risotto, it'll take uh, 20 extra minutes to make, that's actually a good thing. That's the thing to get. That's what you look for, is that asterisk that says, if you order this, it'll take a little longer to make. Slow Food was born in Italy, and I was one of the founders of it. The idea being that good things come to those who wait. If you want fast food... You know what it tastes like. The burger or the fish fillet is always the same. But if you want real ingredients cut at the moment, cooked at the moment, it tastes phenomenally better than any fast food could be. That's one thing I know that you stress in your book is eating where people appreciate the tempo of good cuisine and the importance of local ingredients. When we enjoy the markets all over Italy, you write that San Remo has one of the best markets in its region or in Italy. Does that really mean anything? Can one town have a better market than the neighboring town? Absolutely. The reason that among the many that I love San Remo's market is that tourists do not go there. The one in Florence by now basically has been cannibalized by tourism and has lost most of its character. So the Florentines go to other markets that the tourists have not yet found. In San Remo, it's local people. And what they love to do there is identify the provenance of every ingredient. 
so that we're talking about a small piece of the Ligurian coast, but Taja may give the olives, Albenga may give the artichokes. Each town gives something, and they label the town it comes from. We're talking about a distance of 30 kilometers, 18 miles. And in addition, there are still, and God bless them, little old ladies who keep patches of land just outside San Remo. They grow their food. They are allowed to come into the market, and they occupy a section one end of the market. And it's known that these are, in effect, local people, not farmers, who grow herbs and who grow a couple of little things in their gardens. It's heaven. Mm. And I prefer those old ladies because it comes from right there. Now, you just mentioned that tourism has actually gutted the soul of that beautiful Mercato Centrale or whatever in Florence. And I was just there, and I, I understand what you're saying. There's all sorts of beautiful little salami shops with things on display and so on, but I would imagine uh, salt-of-the-earth people are going elsewhere. One thing you made a big point about in the new edition of your book, Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, is classic towns. And I love this philosophy that, that I had never thought about before. But if you just have a list of famous towns with famous sites, you're not going to necessarily enjoy the, the unique distinctions of each region. Whereas if you go to one town that is most typical of that region, then your itinerary as a whole will show you the best variety of, in this case, Italy. When I talk to Americans and I'm called 10 times a day and emailed 100 times a day for advice, inevitably they say, we have 10 days to go to Italy and we plan to go to Rome, Florence, Venice, Tuscany, and could you recommend another town? And my answer is, my recommendation is, in 10 days at most, you go to two towns. Mm -hmm. Pick one of the big three, Rome, Florence, and Venice, and then go someplace off the beaten track. And my idea of the classic town, it doesn't mean it's the best town of a region, a region being like an American state, but it's the town that within its walls gathers so much that is typical of that region. We were talking about San Remo. San Remo has much of what's typical of Liguria, which is the Italian Riviera. So when we're building an itinerary for Italy, you could choose which regions you want to experience and then you could choose not necessarily the touristic capital of that town or the political capital of that town. Being a political capital makes it more homogenous with other areas. Being a touristic town makes it less distinct. But a town that might just be a workaday town that represents that region most vividly. Absolutely. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Fred Plotkin. And Fred's got a new edition of his book, Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. To me, it's, it's a entree to the culture through the cuisine. And, and I, I just love this philosophy of travel. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. We have Clarissa on the phone in Marina del Rey, California. Clarissa, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Thank you for, for having me. And I know that Fred's new book, he's writing a new book in the footsteps of Michelangelo. And I would like to know a little more about his new book and also if he knows Michelangelo's favorite dish in Italy. Thank you for that question. Um, Michelangelo lived almost 89 years, so he must have done something right in terms of his nutrition. I think that he probably would not be called a gastronome. He liked pears a lot, and his standard gift was to send 33 pears to someone, 33 for the 33 years in the life of Christ. He also had a cheese cellar, 
And in that cellar, he kept several types of sheep's milk cheese, one of them called Marzolino, Marzolino from the month of March. It was only made in March, and he particularly loved that cheese. He had a vineyard, and he produced some wine. 1503, I discovered, was a good vintage. He produced some olive oil, and he ate bread. And that really was about it. There was not much more. He lived on pears, cheese, oil, wine, and bread. Um, the book, when I do finish it, because it took him a long time to live his life and it's a long time to write this book, will really cover Michelangelo in terms of Italy. In other words, I'm not an art historian, but I am an Italianist. And how did Michelangelo change Italy and how did living in Italy change Michelangelo? That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Clarissa. And Fred, in a sentence or two, how did living in Italy change Michelangelo? The fact that he could not get out of Italy, though he tried, because Italy was in constant ferment and wars, and in his lifetime there were 13 popes. And imagine that every time a pope dies, Michelangelo in effect got a new boss. And the boss would say, stop what you're working on now for the old dead pope, and I want you to do things for me. And therefore, it frustrated Michelangelo that a lot of the projects he began, he would have to finish on the sly. He was not like Leonardo who would abandon things. Michelangelo was a completist, and he stayed up every day, all night, working on the things he began, knowing that history would judge him more than a pope would. You know, when you talk about Michelangelo's diet, I, I find when I travel, a lot of restaurants brag about this is a Renaissance recipe or this is a medieval recipe, and I've come to think that's not anything to brag about. I'd rather get a modern recipe. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, the thing about the Renaissance in Italy, I've studied British Renaissance cuisine. It's very interesting. In Italy, it means the infusion of spices and also chocolate, vanilla, things like that, hmm. especially in Tuscany, so that you would find, for example, wild boar braised in red wine and chocolate. That's a Renaissance dish. The town of San Gimignano has a restaurant called Dorando that specializes in Renaissance food. I think in most cases, these Renaissance restaurants are not good, but Dorando is an excellent restaurant. I think I remember reading in your book, Fred, that you thought the three great cuisines of the planet, if you're really going to go to a country for the cuisine, might be China, India, and of all places in Europe, Italy. Well, Italy is... I think the great transformer in terms of cuisines. No one else says that. Italy is the place where when an ingredient arrives, such as corn, peppers, tomatoes, chocolate, you name it, the Italians figure out what to do with it to make it taste better than it did in the place it came from. Italians have a phenomenal knowledge of the properties of food and how to best apply it in the kitchen. That makes it different from most other countries. Fred Plotkin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Italy and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Venice, Florence, and Rome, the heart of Italy, Village Italy, South Italy, and Sicily. For a free catalog and Rick's tour experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.